Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon and welcome to Empowering Family Caregiver Show on Block Talk Radio. I'm Meghna Giritar, your host for today's show sponsored by eCareDiary.com. Today we will be uh, talking about why your healthcare directive won't work in the hospital. To help shed light on this, I'm very pleased to introduce our distinguished guest, Vicky Kine. Vicky is a clinical bioethicist, medical educator, and hospice volunteer. Her award-winning book, The Caregiver's Path to Compassionate Decision-Making, Making Choices for Those Who Can't, guides families and professionals through the difficult process of making decisions for those who have lost capacity. Vicky is also an honorary board member of the Wellspouse Association and has been a caregiver for many years for five members of her family. Vicky, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's such a delight to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, like I was talking to you before the show began, we've had a tremendous response to this to this um, topic, so I just want to get right to it. Um, actually, when we first started talking about uh, what we should focus on when it came to your show, um, you know, your title that you sent was a little troubling. So the title basically was about why the advanced directive you wrote would not work in the hospital. Um, my assumption was that living wills and advanced directives are supposed to be respected by the doctors. Is that not true? Well, absolutely. This is why I'm talking about this, is that, yes, they are supposed to be represented by the do- repre- respected by the doctors. Um, now, I, I did some, it's, a lot of advanced directives actually do work, so I don't want people to think that theirs won't work, but there's a lot of pitfalls where they do not, so it might not work. So a couple things that can happen is, one is that your family doesn't like what you've written, and so they'll tell the doctors, ignore what my mom wrote and do what I say. And that's mm-hmm. not appropriate. The patient wrote their advance directive. The mom said, this is what I would want. Um, sometimes the doctor is from a different religion or culture, or they have a conflict in what's the right decision. And sometimes the doctor doesn't like what's written in the directive. And a lot of times it's just the sheer emotional difficulties of the situation, the the family's grief or guilt may get in the way of it being honored. And so I just, I'm concerned because I think we have to write better documents. We have to write more descriptive, more personalized and meaningful documents. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, in a situation which is already um, a huge, you know, which already uh, presents a huge toll on family members, when we see that a doctor is not honoring a family member's advanced healthcare directive, what can we do at that point? Okay, so there's many things we can do. One is you can remind the doctor that the advanced directive, or, or in some states it's called a living will, is a legal document and it represents autonomy. Uh, basically what that's saying is the patient wrote this document. It's in his or her voice. It's, it's their language. It's their document. 
and that means it's an autonomy. It's, it's their first-person voice. So we're not supposed to disregard it. It's like the patient is still speaking to us even though they're incapacitated. Um, so I would always start with just reminding the doctor that it is a legal document. The second is you can always change doctors. You know, I think we forget that, especially in the hospital, because we feel so uh, bound by the system that's, that's happening all around us. But you can change doctors. The third would be to call the ethics committee. Um, in every hospital in the United States, there's an ethics committee, sometimes called a bioethics committee, and they'll come in and help you. They'll help speak for that patient and make sure things go the right way. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when you say, um, you know, that we should be making medical decisions more meaningful, um, how do we make sure that the decisions we make really represent what we want? Okay, so I think this is, this is the key, is that we have to create a separate document to go with our living will or advanced directive that talks about what's meaningful to us. Um, one of my favorite elder law attorneys asks their clients, um, she asks her clients this. She asks them, would you like to have your feet under the covers or outside of the covers if you're homesick? Mm-hmm. Which, which would you prefer? Um, which do you prefer? Are you in inside the covers or outside? Mm-hmm. Um, inside. Okay. I'm an outside, okay? So for I'm, you, yeah. if, if a nurse... Um, comes by and tucks you in, you know, because you're laying mm-hmm. there and you can't speak for yourself. You're very weak and incapacitated. That will be fine mm-hmm. with you. But for me, I'm going to hate that, you know, because I'm too yeah, so weak yeah. to kick off the covers. And it, it, these documents aren't about some generic person. They're about us and what we need. So one of the things that I try to teach families and patients to focus on is to focus on what kind of results you want from the treatments, not necessarily the treatments themselves. For instance, Mm -hmm. if I needed a feeding tube today because I had some kind of stomach cancer, um, I wouldn't like it, but okay, as long as I can keep going with my life and I can have at least a quality of life that I'm willing to live with, okay, I'll take the feeding tube. But if I have Mm -hmm. end-stage Alzheimer's and... I'm, I'm really at the end of this journey. I can't swallow anymore. And they put in a feeding tube. It has no benefit. They, the research has seen that it doesn't give you any more days of life, and it can create all sorts of harms and dangers to the patient. So when you say, I want a certain treatment, that doesn't necessarily mean in every situation. So um, you might want to say, will the treatment achieve my life goal? my quality of life mm-hmm. goal. And then we'll talk about, um, as we go along, like what that might be. But I think, for me, if this blank treatment can achieve my life goal, then give it to me. Mm-hmm. If it can't, then don't. I see. So I, I'm, I'm beginning to understand what, what you mean when you say a personalized document, because it's really, um, you know, when you when you give these examples, it. it it just clarified, you know, so many things to me right now. So um, I have, so when I start writing my quality of life statement, what kinds of questions should I focus on and what kinds of questions need not be um, elaborated upon? Oh, great question. Um, 
So in my DVD, um, I have a new DVD which actually provides worksheets, and there's an hour and 20-minute education piece, uh, training video Mm -hmm. to help you figure this all out because we're we're learning a lot today, but if you need more help, they can get that off of my website. But basically, Mm -hmm. I want your document to sound like you. So, for example, I had a gentleman that he always said, if I'm in a wheelchair, just shoot me. He didn't want to be disabled in any way. Now, advanced directives are really about when your brain has become damaged. It's it's not about Mm -hmm. living in a wheelchair. But because if you're in the wheelchair, you can speak for yourself. But Mm -hmm. he said, just shoot me. I wouldn't want to be disabled in any way. If he had written that in his document, just shoot me, everyone in his family would say, yep, that sounds just like Dad. That that sounds just like him. (laughs) But instead, he wrote a very, he went to a lawyer, which is okay to do. You don't really need to. Um, It's just as fine if you write one of your own using your state's document. But he didn't write it that way. It was all in legalese. It was was formal language that didn't even sound like him. So some of the questions that I want people to answer are, what's important to me or what makes my life worth living? The doctor knows your body, but they, the doctor doesn't know your life. So what's important to you? What's your high goal if you would hope to get back to this level of life for you? And it's really different mm-hmm. from everybody. I, it's amazing when you ask people this question. For other people, and then the next question, what conditions would I find horrible to live with long term? Or what would be a fate worse than death? Um, a lot mm-hmm. of people have an answer to that one. For me, um, I could be, and I could probably even be bedbound and be in in a terrible physical condition as long as I wasn't in a lot of pain. If my mind was still working, you know, if I could still communicate. Right. But when my mind is gone, I don't want to live like that. That's my personal view. Um, another right. person okay. the other day said to me, "I don't want to live in a stroke that I'm not going to recover from." She didn't want to have all those physical and cognitive disabilities. Um, another person mm-hmm. said, I would hate to be burned. I would hate to, you know, go through that kind of recovery. You know, I don't know what yours right. will be, but you know. Mm-hmm. What would you hate? What would be horrible to live with? See how real that question is? That helps us That's focus beautiful. on you and what's important to you. The third important question is, what would be an acceptable level of better? So we, we know what's really important to you, like your high goal. We know what you would hate, like what's your low minimum of life. What would be acceptable to you? What, what would you be able to live with? You may not like it, but you'd say, all right, yeah, I can live with this. You know, if, mm-hmm. if I had a little bit of cognitive impairment, like mild cognitive impairment, then I'm okay. You know, I can still go out to lunch. I can still see my family, but mm-hmm. there's a certain point where it gets too bad. So for me, mild cognitive impairment, that's okay. Advanced dementia, not okay. And so I mm. want people to be descriptive. You don't have to use medical terms. You just have to talk about what kind of functioning do you want. You know, would it be okay with you if you cannot recognize your loved ones? Would it be okay with you if you can't um, 
can't speak, can't communicate. You're locked into your body that you just lay there and, and you can't communicate. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what your answer is. Some people will say to me, all life is precious. It's not for me to decide I'm, that they're very religious and they would just want to be kept alive no matter what. Other people will mm-hmm. say, I would hate pain and suffering. I wouldn't want to be suffering like that. You know, I would, let, I would want you to let my body go, let, let my disease take over my body and give me good pain management. So those are the three key questions. Um, the other one that I really believe is so important because we don't address it, but it's something that causes a lot of troubles in the hospital I'm always called in when there's problems. Nobody calls me when it's going right. <laughs> they, call me when it's, they call me when it's a disaster. So my, this is one of my favorite new questions I've included. What do I want the doctors to know about honoring my religious or cultural beliefs, both while I'm sick or when I am dying? People have very strong beliefs. And we are such a diverse culture now. I live in Los Angeles, and there's 329 languages being spoken. You know, so we don't always know what you would want. Do we need to do certain prayers for you? Are there certain rituals, healing rituals, dying rituals? What, what do we do for you based on you, your, your religion and your culture? And the reason this is also important is a lot of times if you have a doctor or your, even your family has changed religions, maybe you're not from the same religion anymore, there can be a lot of conflict because I've seen doctors say, I don't like this religion. I don't like what this religion teaches, so I don't want to honor her wishes. And it's just, it's so horrible. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But that's why we have to talk about this. The wow, final this question... Is, this is... <laughs> This is so revealing, Vicky. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I no, you're fine. You know what you're saying. I'm, I'm <laughs> this is this is so. I mean, this information is so brand new, and you know because um, I understand what you're saying about the religious and cultural differences. Because I'm just trying to think of the situation where my grandma, you know, she lives with me, um, and I know she has very strong beliefs about certain things. So it's it resonates with me completely what you're saying right now. Right. And, you you know, if you are her decision maker, if you're the person or at least the family member that's going to be there for her, you've got to communicate that to the doctors because they won't know unless we tell them. That's, that's why I say write a little paragraph about each of these types of questions saying this is who I am, this is, the, this is how I believe, or mm-hmm. I know it says I'm Catholic, but I haven't gone in 20 years, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. tell yeah. us who you are. Um, I don't know what religion or culture you are. Is there anything that's unique about what your grandma would want that maybe the doctors um, wouldn't understand? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I'm a Hindu, and, you know, um, when a person passes away in my religion, there are very, very specific um, things that have to be done right after the person passes away. There has to be, you know, we have to have a priest, um, uh, you know, conduct certain rites, and it's, and I know for, it's, it's important for me, so I can just imagine how, I mean, my grandmother wouldn't even entertain a thought of, you know, not having those things done, you know, when, you know, God forbid, whenever it, it happens to any of us in our family. So, you know, that's why when you told me about the, you know, this particular aspect, it, it didn't even strike me, because like you said, 
every time I've read about living wills and advanced directives, it's always kind of for some reason stuck in my head that it's more of a legal document. But now that you're telling me these things, it makes me realize that there's so much more to this. Yeah, it's personal. And, and that's one of the it reasons is. I I appreciate that we need legal documents, but we've got it in every legal document. There's a section called other, where you can say mm-hmm. see attached document, and you can write a page mm-hmm. or two. Don't write 30 pages. The doctors will hate that. But write a couple right. pages about you and what matters, because how dare we not honor your grandmother's uh, end of life needs? How dare we not do what she needs so, you know, she is at peace, you know, and and that things are done right. Um, Yeah, for me, it it gets so frustrating because sometimes patients become just like a body in the bed. They're just Mm -hmm. organs and pieces of a person. And it's like, no, this person is incredibly human and incredibly individual, and they need our, our support. So I'm so right. glad we're talking about this today. Absolutely. This is this is absolutely revealing. Now, um, see, I created there's one a more question. If you, if, oh, oh, there's sorry, one more ahead. question I just wanted to mention. Um, mm-hmm. And this one is for everybody. What would, I, what would be important to me as I die? Or what is a good death? Again, there may mm-hmm. be religious or cultural rules about that. But for a lot of people, you know, they want their puppy dog on the end of their bed. Right? They, they mm-hmm. want to be home. Yes. They yes. want to have no pain. They want prayers. They want, they want to make sure that they can say, I love you or I forgive you to their family members. People should mm-hmm. write down some of that. Um, a great tool that you can use is the, are the Go Wish cards. You can get them at gowish.org, O-R-G. Mm-hmm. And they're a great conversation tool about what you would want. You can also play the, the, the end-of-life game online and then print out what's important to you. So, you know, I'm a hospice volunteer, and I know in those last days and, and minutes, it's, it's important how people leave this world. And that, that's our duty, I think, as professionals and family members is to do right by that person. Absolutely. Um, now, as I was saying, um, say I create the document for myself, is there something that I would not understand about, you know, my wishes being put into action in the hospital? Is there some key aspect that's, that I have to be aware of once I've created the document? Right. Yeah, this is, I think this is kind of one of those things that even the lawyers don't understand. Um, and the mm-hmm. lawyers try really hard to write good documents. They're, they're passionate about it, but they don't understand medicine. They don't realize how their legal words will be interpreted or misinterpreted by the doctor's words, right, the medical words. So here's, mm-hmm. here's what happened. Um, most people don't realize that we are going to take your words literally. So if you say no ventilator, no breathing machine, we will never put you on a breathing machine. Now, mm-hmm. that, can, that can be fine because if that's what you meant, that's great. We're honoring your wishes or we're at least supposed to be right honoring your wishes. Mm-hmm. But this mm-hmm. can be a problem. There was a famous bioethics case where a gentleman came into the hot emergency room. He had a, a really advanced pneumonia. He was really, really sick. And he needed to be put on a ventilator to 
give his lungs time to heal. Um, his family brought in his advanced health care directive, and it said, no ventilator. Now, he had oh. meant, I don't want to live on a ventilator forever. That's what mm-hmm. he meant. But what happened is, in this situation, he only needed to be on it about five or six days. But because it oh. was written, yeah, you can see where this is becoming a problem. It's a legal document, right? And so because mm-hmm. it was written down, no ventilator, we have to respect somebody's refusal. They, when they say no, we have to respect that. So they did not put him on the ventilator, and he died. And his family was torn up because that's not what he meant. But but there's no, on these forms, these legal forms, there's no choice where, where it says, in this situation I would want this, but in this situation I wouldn't. That's what's really, admit, that's what's missing. So for him, I can, I can be on a ventilator for a week, two weeks, a month. You know, sometimes you, takes you it takes you time for your lungs to heal. But maybe you don't want to be on it forever. Then you need to say that. You, can, you should, instead of checking no or yes for the ventilator, you need to write a paragraph saying, it depends. If it's a short-term mm-hmm. need and I'm going to get better, then please give it to me. But if, if not, then don't. Um, you know, <laughs> I, the other day I was speaking Yeah, the to language, a, I just realized how, how the language, words can just mean so many different things when you, you want to think it means something, but it, it could mean a range of things. Right. And so I really recommend that people take their advanced health care directive to their doctor and have the doctor mm-hmm. read about those things that you've written um, because you want to see, doctor, does this make sense? What do you think I'm saying? What, what do you think I mean when I say this? Mm-hmm. And find out if it, it's translating correctly. Because, again, you, most of us are not medical professionals. So even we, we don't speak that language. So we've got to figure out mm-hmm. how to communicate it. Now, okay. the other day... I was speaking to um, a social worker, and she's a case manager at a, at a large hospital, and I asked her that question because she said, nope, I don't want a ventilator. I said, even for five days? She's like, no, because she's had chronic lung disease. She's, she's experienced a ventilator. She knows what that means, and she understands, you know, she knows at this point, she's medically knowledgeable that she doesn't want it anymore. You know, she accepts that her, her disease, you know, is a progressive one. Now, I was a little surprised because she looked pretty healthy to me, you know. But, again, mm-hmm. it's not about me, right? It's never about me or your loved ones or your, or your doctors. It's about you, the patient. You tell me what you want, and I'm going to really fight hard to get that for you. So I accept that sometimes people really don't want something and they're willing to say absolutely no, but I just always mm-hmm. like to clarify, do you mean always or just when it's it's not going to help you? Because so, I, I I I'd rather have people write it down because that way I don't have to guess. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, Vicky, I went to your DVD, which is, which is amazing. I'm going to give our listeners um, the information um, and uh, guide them to your website at the end of the show. But there was one part in the DVD that really surprised me, which was um, you know, the information you provided about CPR. 
Can you go through some of the basics for our listeners? Oh, great, great. I, I would love to talk about CPR. It, there was, it was funny. The other day um, an article came out in the medical research, and they had actually asked doctors, doctors, what would you want? Would you want CPR at the end of your life? Ninety percent of the doctors, nine zero percent, said no. They didn't want to be on a ventilator. They didn't want dialysis, chemotherapy, surgery, feeding tubes. The only thing they really wanted was pain medicine. And the reason mm-hmm. they said that is because they knew that there's a point in life, in health, where CPR is not going to really be helpful anymore. It's helpful in certain, situa- certain situations, but not always. So the first thing that I always tell people is that CPR includes more than we realize. Um, it includes people pushing on your chest. We've seen that on TV, chest compressions. It includes um, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. They really do that now. It's usually through a bag or um, through a machine that can help breathe. There's, they're also, um, they can use those paddles and, like, try to jumpstart your heart. They shock it with a little electrical jolt. But it also mm-hmm. includes medication that can help jolt your heart back into action, and it can include being intubated and ventilated, which means they put a tube down your throat and that way they can hook you up to a ventilator or a respirator, and then you'll be hooked up to that machine, and that will breathe for you. Now, rarely do we see that on TV. And so a lot of times people, seniors especially, will say to me, I want you to push on my chest, but I don't want to be hooked up to a machine. They, people aren't given the full story of what CPR actually includes. And so it includes all of those things. And if you do Mm -hmm. want CPR, choose the whole package because that's when it has a chance of working. Don't say, I only want one little piece of it. It won't work. Um, The next thing people people don't know is that on TV, it it works about 75% of the time, but in real life, it only works about 15 to 17%. And if you're really, really with metastatic cancer or multi-organ system failure, it's zero to one percent. I think that's the biggest misperception. On TV, people look like they're waking up happy, but in reality, if you're really, really sick, it has a very low chance of working. That's why doctors don't choose it. Um, People also Mm -hmm. don't understand that they may come back in a worse condition. If you are lucky enough to be brought back to life, the chance of you leaving the hospital with your brain back where it was when you came in, is only 7%. Because when you have a lack of oxygen, when you're, when you're not breathing and your heart isn't beating anymore, you're dead, your brain starts dying. And so you, there's a lo- big chance of um, your brain not surviving in a healthy way. Um, 7% is the, the group that gets to come out of it with their brain the way it was. Um, there's rib fractures and, and all sorts of other things. And truthfully, people don't understand that that's not necessarily a very nice way to die. You know, one of the reasons mm-hmm. doctors don't want it is they don't want to um, go through that. It's, it's, there's some suffering and some, it's, it's really an aggressive treatment. And I think most people would rather have their loved ones holding their hands and, you know, saying their prayers. Mm-hmm. So if anyone wants an article about that, they, they can feel free to email me and I'll be glad to send that. 
Absolutely. Uh, Wiki, unfortunately, you know, we have time for just one question, and I want that question to be um, about the DVD that you've created and where people can find it. But before you give us that information, I want to let our listeners know that um, Vicky also is our, um, you know, she um, answers, um, she, she's our expert Q&A panelist, um, and you can find all her Q&As on our website under the content tab. So we will be continuing this discussion uh, through the expert Q&A series. So please uh, be tuned. Uh, we will be putting up one Q&A every month. And for the next uh, two to three months, we will continue with this discussion, um, Vicky, because there are so many other questions that I want to ask you, but unfortunately we are running out of time. Um, well, we can always so chat again. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, that would be fantastic. We would love to have you back. Uh, but before I let you go, I, if you could give us information about where our listeners can find uh, this amazing DVD that you've created, that would be fantastic. Great. People can contact me at my website, uh, www.kindethics. My last name is K-I-N-D, and then ethics, E-T-H-I-C-S, dot com. And then just email me, and then I can invoice you through PayPal, or you can send a check. Um, just contact mm -hmm. me that way to the website, kindethics.com. Great. Thank you so much, Vicki. This has been so, so revealing. And uh, I'm definitely going to be uh, pestering you with many more questions about this topic because I don't think, um, you know, there's, there's so much more information that I think people really need to know about. Um, I want to thank our audience for tuning in. And we have our next show next Tuesday, March 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern. It's our caregiver and physician conversations show hosted by our caregiving expert, Marjorie Papps. She will be interviewing Dr. Carrie Present, author of Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment for Today's Healthcare. They will be discussing warning signs for caregivers when it comes to issues related to care providers. To learn more about eCare Diary and our upcoming shows, visit www.ecarediary.com. Registration is absolutely free and gives you immediate access to your personal care diary tool. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. My Twitter address is ecare underscore diary. Thank you, everyone, and have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you, Vicky. Thanks. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.